This podcast is sponsored by Chargeify. Chargeify provides specialized billing and data management tools to give B2B SaaS companies the competitive edge. Over the past 12 years, Chargeify has partnered with champions in SaaS like SpendSpark, Mailgun, Connect, and EarthClass Mail to streamline their billing processes, build and nurture lasting relationships with customers, and strategically optimize their organizations for long-term growth. Chargeify's innovative software empowers every B2B SaaS company to step into the future of billing. Visit chargeify.com forward slash SaaSdoc to learn more. If you're one of the world's nearly 1 billion spreadsheet users, you're likely familiar with the time-consuming effort that goes into formatting, emailing, and sharing your spreadsheets. That's exactly why Grid is here to help. Grid is a no-code web tool that transforms your important spreadsheet data into compelling visual narratives and interactive web documents. If you use spreadsheets to construct complex growth models, revenue projections, or strategic analysis, Grid will give you your work that wow factor. Grid lets your team interact with your spreadsheet models, compare scenarios, and share them securely in minutes. With Grid, you'll never email another spreadsheet again. Sign up for free at www.grid.is. That's G-R-I-D. I think it's incredibly important that a CRO actually has a really strong vision for where their organization needs to go. Where does the company need to go? And having a CRO that's well aligned with the executive team, having the shared vision of where are we going to be in three years? And then creating a short-term plan that gives the team a vision of like, how are we for the next six months gonna get closer to that three-year vision? A year from now, how are we gonna be closer yet? Because we wanna pair that long-term vision with the short-term operational aspects of the business. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution Show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth, and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today, and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show. Mike Weir, CRO at G2. Welcome, Mike. Thank you, Alex. Excited to have a conversation. Yeah, great to have you uh, uh, on the podcast. We've had, we've had Goddard on, I think, once or twice, certainly... Uh, we had him once on with, with Jacko Vandekoy, where we were talking about uh, what uh, SaaS companies and CEOs need to do to get 10 million revenue. But he speak, he's spoken uh, at a few of our uh, events. So I think we've used some of that content uh, as well. But uh, uh, a pleasure to, to have you, you on for the first time. Um, Mike, um, the SaaS Revolution show, uh, you know, is, is all about, you know, helping founders, you know, get to kind of 10 million in revenue, I guess like what we we want to kind of talk about today uh, is sales and marketing alignment. But before we do, tell us a little bit about yourself as a person. Uh, who is uh, who is Mike Weir? Yeah, so I'm uh, a father, a husband, and a Chicago native. So I've been uh, yeah been up for a few hours already, even though I'm in Central Chicago time. My my son is one year old, and he loves getting up at five a.m. So he and I have been hanging out for a few hours already. Uh, my wife's now hanging out with him, and I am starting my workday. 
you know, just digging in. Um, I'm also a world traveler. So love the fact that you have a global audience and entrepreneurs and, and leaders from around the world listening. How have you been coping, I guess, with the lack of uh, world travel uh, at the moment? Uh, enjoying it or are you kind of dying to get on a, a long haul flight uh, somewhere? You know, after two decades of traveling kind of nonstop for work, I'm surprised that I've adapted and become so comfortable with not traveling. I think it was, uh, I definitely had the itch early on, but I'm just kind of used to it now. It's like that same thing of I got used to hopping on a plane every other week, and now I'm just kind of used to being closer to home. I would love to get on a plane and travel with my family again, though. Like that's my wife and I spent you know, a decade uh, traveling Literally, uh, I've got Antarctica left. So that's the only continent I haven't been on. And I've got that plan at some point later on when my son's a little bit older to try to get down there vis-a-vis uh, a trip to Argentina for some quality time. And then maybe a Scientific America charter boat to get across and step foot on Antarctica at some point. All right, very cool. Also, uh, we've got something in common. I've never been to Antarctica uh, either and uh, there is no we had um, in 2019 we had SAS start conferences uh, in five continents or on five continents uh, but uh, Antarctica was definitely missing uh, uh, um, Africa uh, we haven't had a SAS start conference in uh, in Africa yet um, but um, but yeah interesting so with, with the travel whilst this is not a travel podcast a, 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 a disclaimer um, do you think you will be going back to traveling the, the way you were, um, you know, pre-COVID or uh, will it be the new normal that a, a lot of these meetings that you were doing and speaking to the customers and so on, uh, a lot of it you'll be doing from Zoom, from home or the local Chicago office? Yeah, I, I think travel will become a little bit more regular, obviously, than now, but it's not going to go back to where it was. I think before um you know, the vast majority of our clients, the vast majority of the leaders that I would meet with within our client perspective client base, they were all centralized around their office hubs. But most companies have come out with expanded policies for remote work. And so it feels like getting that critical mass of folks into a room is going to be really hard in the future. So I think we're, we're looking forward to getting back out and doing some face-to-face meetings but I don't think it's going to be nearly as prevalent as it was historically. Some of the, the efficiencies or inefficiencies maybe have been exposed a little bit or co- come to light uh, around that. And certainly, um, I don't remember, I, I think either speaking to Michael at Vidyard or, or kind of reading about it, I don't remember which one, but like, and, and this would probably be like resonate with a lot of people in sales and a lot of founders that, you, you know, we used to get up at like four in the morning to, travel somewhere uh, and I think he's specifically saying you know I think from like Waterloo to Toronto to New York to have one customer meeting and then get back at like you know midnight the kind of the same day right and that was a way that certainly I, I, I remember kind of operating to flight you know wake up at the crack of dawn to go to Dublin to have a meeting or two and then come back really late and then you're pretty tired uh, you know you're working on the go I mean that that's still like you know all right but actually some of these meetings could have been, could have been done, um, you know, uh, online right? uh, uh, over Zoom. So I think we'll we'll, we'll probably see a lot of that uh, uh, moving forward. Yeah, I agree. I think we've the the positive of this is that we've seen 
you know, face-to-face, I, I think there's, it's really powerful. Build real relationships with folks. It's incredibly important to continue, but you know, there's, uh, I think there's a better understanding of when do we actually have to sit down face-to-face? How frequently does that have to happen versus the, the convenience and the efficiency of doing you know, Zoom meetings or whatever platform you choose? There's plenty of meetings that I've had in the past that easily could have done, been done over a video conference. If, if I had my way, um, I'd recommend that everybody did all meetings online uh, and then once a year come to SASDOP and just meet everybody face-to-face for a couple of days. Uh, and I think that would be a really efficient way of, uh, of doing business. But uh, I could be biased. I could be biased. Um, um, but tell, Mike, tell us a, bit, a little bit about how you, uh, your experience, um, you, you know, uh, and how you began to be a CRO at G2. So I think you've been there coming up to a year, something like that, right? Correct. Almost a year now. Um, so I had been at LinkedIn uh, prior to this for uh, about eight years. And before that, I had been at different technology companies, both in the channel with CDW and then directly at the OEM with Interasys Networks and I've had always within the tech realm, um, but I've had two different professional lives, uh, a life of leading marketing organizations in the, the first part of my career, and then now uh, been leading sales organizations for the last decade. And so that's, that's what's kind of colored my perspective of always growing up within tech, but looking at it from different angles, looking at it from the marketing leadership angle, looking at it from the sales leadership angle, now looking at it from kind of one of the executive leaders within G2 of what is our holistic strategy? How do we build a a robust and engaging culture for everybody at the company to really thrive and and be their best professionally and have a a great time working with their peers? And so it's, uh, it's really helped me kind of grow up around the topic that we're going to be covering you know, I've, I've seen marketing, I've seen sales, and I understand from both sides why you get mad at the other counterpart. So it's, uh, it gives me a little bit of perspective and, and a heck of a lot more empathy for both sides of the argument. Given that you've led both marketing departments and sales, do you have a preference in terms of uh, which, yeah, which one you kind of prefer to lead or do you equally like them uh, uh, both? I love aspects of both, but it would be hard for me to not lead the revenue organization in the future. Really dynamic. I love talking with clients. I love tracking the industry in the way that I have to uh, and engaging the industry and, and just really talking to very smart clients and continuously challenging myself to get better. Um, it affords me a great opportunity uh, being on the sales side. On the marketing side, you would get similar insights, but it was more at a a scale learning, a research study, and then on occasion getting to talk to clients. In sales, I'm talking to clients almost every single day, and I love that aspect of my job. What makes a great uh, chief revenue officer? From what I've seen, um, I think it's incredibly important that a, a CRO actually has a really strong vision for where their organization needs to go. And I say that not just as, like, where does the sales team need to go, but where does the company need to go? And having a CRO that's well aligned with the executive team, you know, the CEO, Godard, in my case, Amanda, our CMO, Sarah Rossi, our chief product officer, like having the shared vision of where are we going to be in three years? And then creating a short-term plan that gives the team 
a vision of like, how are we for the next six months going to get closer to that three-year vision? A year from now, how are we going to be closer yet? Because we want to pair that long-term vision with the short-term operational aspects of the business so that folks aren't just like, okay, you keep telling me there's this amazing future. I'm waiting for it. I'm frustrated today. It's like we're always balancing operational excellence with that long-term vision. I think CROs need to do that to motivate, inspire, and really challenge their team to be thinking further ahead. Because a sales team is not successful if they're just managing their inbox, if they're just managing their pipeline, if they're just thinking about how do I get this deal to close. We want the organization, everybody from our individual contributors that are sellers, our CSMs, our managing partnerships, we want them thinking about that long-term vision and what can they do today to build deeper relationships with their clients? What could we build tomorrow that can help their clients get even more value from G2? And so a, a CRO that paints that vision, that helps set short-term operational goals and really empowers their team to be a part of creating that vision is somebody that really sets the organization up for success. And I think the final piece of that that we'll dig into in a second is you got to build great partnerships. And it's, you know, you're not going to be that successful just selling. You have to understand what does the partnership of marketing look like so that we have an aligned go-to-market. The customer engagement, the prospect engagement that marketing is driving needs to be aligned, understood, and kind of agreed on with the revenue organization. And likewise, we got to be influencing and talking about what we're hearing in the market with our products and R&D organization. It's like, this is the stuff that we hear, that we see our competitors doing, that our clients are looking for and learn from those highly innovative companies that are leading the charge so that we're constantly out in front. And so that's also a key part of a CRO's success is getting their organization highly partnered with key internal companies. Uh, cross-functional partners. It's a good segue in, into the, the the main kind of topic for the, for the podcast around sales and marketing alignment. Um, I actually, in our SASTA Premier Conference last year, uh, we had it uh, like a workshop on marketing. And I, I'd never heard that term before. Uh, and I asked my colleague, like, have you just kind of made this up? Uh, but, uh, but she did say, no, this is actually, um, you know, refers to sales and marketing alignment. Is that something that that uh, a term that that you use or that you've kind of heard uh, before? Is it, is it it's a thing? Is it? it it is a thing. I've definitely heard it. Uh, I've even used it once or twice. Um, I prefer just saying sales and marketing yeah. alignment. Just me. Yeah. Um, I've even heard sparketing, which is sales product and marketing alignment. So you're welcome. That's a new one you can use in the future. Okay. Um, I also prefer to use the the long version of it, but it's definitely a thing. And I love that it's a thing because one of the relationships in the you know 20 years that I've been in the tech industry that has always had problems is the sales and marketing partnership. And I, you know, I talked about it constantly. That was the main kind of thought leadership conversation that I drove while I was at LinkedIn was just really understanding how do we help improve this fractured relationship and where it's actually working, how do we help you do it even better? What, why, why is it 
so often misaligned? Why is it so often fractious, as you, uh, as you said? Yeah, I've, I've had the benefit of you know, talking to hundreds of companies about this. And I would say there's a lot of root causes. There's, um, there's root cause that is literally they're pitted against each other sometimes, right? They have com- very conflicting goals being asked of each other. And that can happen fairly often, unknowingly within an organization. But even when that happens, it's solvable if a couple of additional things that also lead to the disconnect happen better. First, I see that the divide happens literally because they're just not talking. And it seems so weird, but I've been in meetings where we're talking about what we are doing from a marketing perspective in partnership with the company and asking, how is sales receiving this? What is sales feedback? And it's crickets. There is no conversation with sales. We are talking about demand generation. You are not a direct-to-consumer product. You are not closing deals. How are you not talking with sales about whether or not your demand generation is effectively working to build an engaged audience, to help create pipeline opportunities, to generate revenue, to improve like average deal size, time to close. Like how, how are you not having that conversation? And most of the time um, it's just because they're not talking at all. I think the, the next big one is like, you're talking, but you're really talking around each other. And, and this is where having sat on both sides of the fence, um, I definitely understand this one more. We use different nomenclature in marketing than in revenue. We think on different time horizons. Most, if you're talking to an individual seller, they're trying to close deals this month, but they're talking to a marketer who's thinking about a campaign over the next six months. And they're asking, you know, hey, can this help generate revenue for you six, nine, 12 months from now? And the seller's just like, I just need something tomorrow. And so we're often, you know, we're talking around each other and misaligned. And the third part that I see is like, you're just lacking a willingness to find the compromise, to actually understand where you're misaligned and talk through, you know, how should we think about this partnership, right? How should I think about marketing needs time to build a campaign. So I need to be patient and wait for that to be done right versus them just spamming a bunch of emails out there to get me a few contacts to call. So revenue needs to slow down a little bit be understanding of that, be prepared when the demand gen starts kicking in. And marketing needs to understand the urgency that sales feels to kind of have some of that shared pressure to try to work as efficiently and effectively as possible to to really adapt and, and be as dynamic as the sales team needs to be when they're facing dozens of different client questions every single day. And, you know, we just need to move quickly to get, you know, to get new messages in market, to get that counter to an argument that a client's pushing back on you with. To to your point about getting sales and marketing, um, talking more, can you give any examples um, specifically, I guess, kind of like uh, within G2 as to how you achieve uh, exactly that? Yeah, I think it all starts with planning. And I'm a huge believer in planning sets the tone for the business. And so when we do planning, it is a collaborative process. Right. We, we do a leadership planning process, 
that I sponsor within the revenue organization, where each of my segment leaders presents every six months, like, here's what our strategy is for the next fiscal year. And then six months later, it's like, here's what's been working. Here's things we're adapting. Here's things we're adding to close out the last six months of the year really well. Now, before they come into that room to present that strategy, which includes marketing leadership to here, product leadership, research, and other cross-functional partners, if they have ideas that require a cross-functional partner to be a part of it, they have to be pre-selling that in. They have to be discussing that in advance. They're not just coming in and saying, this is the strategy. Oh, by the way, like surprise marketing, I, I got you know 10 asks for you and need all this support and budget and headcount. All of that has to be discussed in advance. In the same way that I sit down with Amanda, our CMO, and Sarah, our chief product officer, and kind of set the overall vision for the company that gives my team the guardrails to work with them, we align on all that during the planning process. Once we actually lock down our plans and we align our headcount and we align our, uh, our budget allocations, then we go into kind of alignment meetings throughout the year. So once a month, I get on the phone with select leaders within my operations organization, my sales organization, the growth marketing team, our CMO, and we actually sit down and talk through the holistic full funnel pipeline. And we're talking from the very top of, hey, how is engagement going within our growth campaigns? How many folks are starting to, to show up in your lead flow? How are we getting to kind of a marketing qualified lead? How are we converting that to a sales ready lead? And then once it's in my sales team's hands, then I can report back on how effectively are we getting meetings? How many of those are converting to pipeline? How much of that is converting to revenue? So we really look at it as a full funnel partnership. And both of us are bringing insights and talking through the you know, effectiveness of our parts of the funnel to get to alignment. And so that's one example of how we take a, a big, broad strategy about who is our core target audience? When are we going to focus on them? What's the message? What's the call to action? And then you know, once a month, we're literally checking in and saying, how are we doing? Are we aligned? Are we actually going to hit our our revenue goals? Are we going to hit our marketing influence pipeline goals? What, what, what are some of the results that you've seen then over your career, either both of the companies that you've been working with or again, maybe externally, you know, some of the customers where they have uh, achieved sales and marketing alignment, you, you know, what, what is the impact uh, on, on the business? Yeah, uh, there was a study, man, there was a study like four or five years ago. Uh, it was a good quantitative study that looked at uh, some econometric data, and I'm really I'm blanking on the source. It may have been Aberdeen. Um, I can't recall exactly. So they looked at the econometric data about companies that had self-reported that they have good sales and marketing alignment versus those that felt like they did not or that they didn't have any of it. And so what what came through in the data was that the companies that had self-reported good sales and marketing alignment they were far exceeding the companies with self-reported poor alignment, uh, where those that were poor alignment were basically stagnant for a 10-year period. And those that had really good sales and marketing alignment were 20% plus above their targets. And to me, I've seen that play out in partnerships that we've had, whether it's G2, LinkedIn before that, and even when I was you know, client side at CDW, 
when we had really great alignment, when we saw companies with really great alignment, they were taking market share. They were building a stronger brand. They were creating a lot more demand and their sales team was converting it at scale to just start gobbling up market share where they were you know, acutely focused together. The companies that were very fragmented, they were kind of languishing because oftentimes sales was focused in one area, which is like, I just care about these 500 companies and marketing was off talking to everybody but those 500 companies. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, uh, so it resonates from uh, a, a lot of people that I've spoken to over the years from uh, 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 the podcast. What what happens then? You talked about this stagnation. Um, if you don't fix it, if you can't fix it, is this sounding the death knell for the business, or is it just means that you've just got a lack of growth? Uh, um, what are, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I think in the macro, it's you have a lot of missed opportunity. There's, there is a lot of revenue growth. There is a lot of you know, client success that you could be driving that you're not because you're not well aligned. I think in more practical micro terms, this leads to you know, CMOs being one of the most turned over roles on the executive team. And it, it kind of starts as you know, CMO sometimes not doing a good job, but sometimes being a scapegoat as well. It's like, oh, revenue's down. I'm gonna, I'm gonna blame the CMO. Like, I'm not getting enough demand from them, and so that oftentimes, you know, really does lead to people you know, in the executive team losing their jobs because they weren't able to drive alignment. They weren't able to build that partnership. For me, you know, because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thankful that my revenue ops and my marketing ops team work so closely together. I have an aligned funnel, so I know. Is the problem in my team converting the demand that's coming over or do we need more demand for marketing? And we're aligned in going to go to our CEO and saying, all right, I actually just need more budget. Like the team's super efficient at generating demand. I just need more of it. And so, you know, there's in our world, there's not going to be any scapegoating. There's a clear understanding and alignment on, you know, what parts of the funnel can we improve where you don't have that though. It's a lot of finger pointing, people lose their jobs, and the company is less efficient at growing. Let, let's sort of re, <clears throat> recap uh, then, maybe on the, the kind of the top three to five things that uh, those that are listening can do if they have a misaligned sales and marketing uh, alignment within their business. Yeah. I, so if, if you're a founder and you're having this misalignment that's happening, I think it's important to get into the conversation with your head of sales, with your head of marketing, and make sure that you have alignment on key ideas like who are we actually focused on? What is our ideal customer profile? What is the ideal persona within those customers that we need to be targeting and reaching out to as a sales organization? And once you can get to those really core alignment topics, then you can push on whether or not the, the strategic plans being put in place are going to effectively reach those audiences, influence those personas, and start generating the demand. I would also encourage, once you get to that basic alignment and the teams have built the plan that you've likely signed off on, for a while, you got to be a part of that regular rhythm of reporting. And so we use a V2Mom process uh, popularized by Mark Benioff with Salesforce, and in that V2Mom process, once a month, 
our, our leadership teams are publishing updates to our performance metrics. And so we provide full transparency. Like, how are we actually pacing against these goals within product, within marketing, within sales, within customer success, so that everybody can ask questions, everybody can understand if things are progressing well, everybody can give new ideas. And as a founder, you have a great opportunity to set that tone of transparency and collaboration within your team to get them working together, to get out in the open where they disagree with a foundational like performance metric that you're tracking. And if, if marketing is just talking about cost per lead, volume of leads, and sales is saying, I don't care about volume of leads because most of what you send me, I'm not going to do anything with anyways, then you have the ability by having that transparency, isolate that pain point, get people in the room, figure out what's a better way to track this. Say, okay, marketing, we don't want to hold you to volume of leads. We want to talk about quality of leads and make sure that those folks fit the ICP that we have aligned on. Not you're getting 5,000 leads, but 4,999 of them fall outside of the company type and the persona within that company that we're focused on. So great job driving a lot of leads, but only one of them is who sales said they care about. So I think that's you know key parts of getting alignment on who do you care about in the market and who do you think you have the most value for help drive that continuous alignment and conversation between the organizations. And then honestly, the final piece of this is be a great collaborative cheerleader. It's like, you gotta celebrate the wins along the way. It is painful at times. It is, you know, conflict happens but you can celebrate the good. You can applaud the partnership. You can thank the team for putting the extra effort in to drive this alignment and reinforce that this is ultimately going to help us be better as a company. And that is an important tone that has to come from the top and the bottoms up. But if you're not having it from the top, then it's much harder for the team to feel really good putting the extra effort into driving this alignment and executing together. Because at the end of the day, it would be so much easier to just go off in your little home office or you know, your coffee, uh, coffee area and just do your job on your own without talking to anybody. But that's not the way you're going to be most successful. And so the leadership team has to help set that positivity tone and reinforce with a lot of, you know, hey, great work. Thank you. Like this is making progress. This is helping us so that the, the team knows that it's worth the effort. The team knows that their extra effort is being recognized. Great advice there, uh, Mike. And uh, I mean, f- final question. We're, I think, well, uh, just less than sort of two months out uh, to uh, Blueprint for CROs, which is a conference that's taking place on, on June the 8th, which G2 are partnering and, and you'll be speaking at. Uh, maybe is it too early to, to know what uh, you'll, you'll be speaking about uh, at, at that event? Um, I'm, I'm not sure if we've, we've covered it yet. Um, I don't think we've fully locked that one down yet. I'm... I'm big on, given the digital transformation that's been happening in the world over the last year, um, we, we all as CROs need to better understand and listen to what our customers are saying. And we need to be adapting. Like we're, we're not building trust via face-to-face connections anymore. And so we as a, a revenue organization have to adapt and figure out how do we, how do we listen in different ways? How do we build rapport in different ways? to make sure that we're still relevant, that we're still a strategic partner without being able to buy somebody lunch 
without being able to visit their campus and walk around from you know, room to room, meeting with different parts of their organization. So there's, there's a lot to unpack there about you know, selling in a digital age that uh, will likely be some of what I'll be speaking to. Amazing. Well, l- looking forward to that. Mike, you've been a fantastic guest on the SaaS Revolution uh, show today. Really appreciate you taking the time uh, to share with the, uh, with the SaaS doc uh, community uh, and the SaaS Revolution show podcast listeners. Um, thanks so much, uh, Mike. We're uh, CRO at G2, and we'll see you June the 8th at Blueprint for C- uh, CROs. Awesome. Thank you, Alex. Have a great one. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaS Doc conferences around the world.